Good morning. All right, let's, let's try that again. Let's see if my microphone's on. Good morning. There we go. Good morning. It is, it is so fun to be able to be in the house of the Lord, especially on a cold, uh, rainy day. Um, and my name, is, my name is Luke Hedinger. I like to eat chili on a cold, rainy day. Thanks for asking. So uh, that's right. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 7. Uh, John chapter 7, we're going to start with verse 25 this morning. We're continuing our walk through the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can grab the, there's these Bibles underneath the chair in front of you, uh, should be. And if you don't have a Bible, um, that's your Bible now. You can just take that home with you. If you have a Bible at home, just leave that one. You don't, you don't need a collection at home. We don't need more than that, right? So, um, and it's, it's page, in this Bible, it's page 1627. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you turn in there, I want to ask you a question. I want to say a word, and, and you, I, I don't want you to respond out loud. I just want you to, you know, maybe silently respond, whatever that means. Whatever that means for you, silently responding. When I say the word deconstruction, Wow, some people are bad at following directions in here this morning. That was silent. <laughs> yeah, when, when I say the word deconstruction, what do you think of? And, and again, just silently, just think about that. Right? For, for some people, may, maybe, I don't want to assume what the, what the, the, the responses were over here, but, but for some of you, maybe like, you, you think of this word in terms of kind of the buzzword that it has become. Right? A lot of people talk about deconstructing their faith. A lot of people, there's, there's a term called ex-evangelical that's kind of a popular term in some circles. Um, it's, it's this idea of people who, who maybe they've grown up in the church and then they come to this place in their life where, where they go through this process of saying, you know, the things I once believed, I no longer believe because of all these different things. And they, and they deconstruct their faith. Maybe, maybe for some of you, when you think of deconstruction, you think of it as, as the necessary step in reconstruction, right? The, the idea of deconstruction, uh, when, I, when I worked with my uncle uh, for a few years in carpentry, you know, nobody, nobody invited us in, nobody hired us, and when they hired us, you know, they said, you know what I'd really like for my kitchen, you know, and just... I, I really like the aesthetic of if you can just come in and tear the walls out and just leave like bare studs and maybe some bare wires here and there and like a bare bulb every now and then, that would, you know, I, I hear that, that aesthetic is on the rise and I just want to, you know, what, what would you call that? Um, I, mean, I, I was trying to think of a word to, to continue this illustration. I can't think of anything. No, nobody invites you in to say what I'd really like to have happen here is just tear things out. Right? But, but we know that process of, of ripping things out, it's a necessary process if, if you're going to replace it with something new. I, I, know, I know some people in here are going through a kitchen remodel. And that, that, you know, that, that period of deconstruction at times can last for a long time. Depending on what you run into, I, I, I remember working with my uncle, there'd be times where we'd be, we'd be tearing out a wall and it's like, oh my goodness, we had no idea what was behind this. But, you know, it's because, you know, plaster and lath is not a fun thing. If you've never worked with it, it's not fun. It's really not fun. Uh, you get into some weird things uh, that people used to do back in the day. 
But, but again, deconstruction is an important step in the process of reconstruction. And, and even when I say, when I say deconstruction, at times, uh, maybe for you this morning, you can have this response where it's like, oh, we're getting, we're, we're going, we're going there this morning? That's what we're going to do? Okay. But, but again, what if, what if the idea of deconstruction, if instead of something that is threatening, instead of deconstruction being an end in and of itself, where it's like, I was a Christian, then I deconstructed. What if deconstruction is an invitation this morning to reconstruct? Because here's, here's what I see in, in the passage that we're going to look at. Sometimes we have to lay down what we think we know in order to receive what we actually need. Right? Sometimes we have to lay down what we think we know in order to receive what we actually need. It's, it reminds me of when uh, my, we, we love Legos at our house. It's Legos. I just love Legos. Um, and my kids love Legos. And every year, every year, Legos are super fun. Every year, my, my wife will buy us a big Lego set to put together. And so we've got the DeLorean. We've got this. Re- they, I, Nintendo is amazing, right? A little, little side note. This is free, right? Free with the cost of admission. The, the, like Nintendo makes makes a, uh, or Lego makes this cool Nintendo. It's like the, like the legit old Nintendo with the flip up and even a cartridge and a little TV. Anyway, it's awesome, right? And so, so every year, uh, for years, we've gotten these, these Lego sets. And I, I remember when my kids were little, um, my son got the uh, Millennium Falcon, which is the, the spaceship on Star Trek, right? Um, kidding, kidding, some of you. First service didn't get that at all. But it's, it's from Star Wars. Star Wars, the real one, not the fake one. So, um, again, kidding. Star Trek, though, the, the spaceship. And I, I remember he, he was, my son was really young when we were putting this together. And there would be times where you'd get to this spot in the construction of the thing that you're building. And it's like, wait a second, things aren't matching. Something, like, according to the picture, I love Legos, like, I love the, the directions on Legos because it's like, it's pictures, right? Um, and so according to this picture, this doesn't look like this. And so, so then we'd have to start going back and say, okay, in order, to, in order to get the outcome that we really want, which is an awesome Lego set, we have to step back and say, okay, somewhere along the line we got off and we started building on a faulty foundation, Right? And, and when my kids were younger, it was usually their fault. Now it's more my fault because, you know, I'm getting old. But, but there are times, again, there are times where we have to stop and say, okay, what am I being invited into to reconstruct? What am I being invited into to lay down in order to receive my heart's desire, the thing I really want? If, if you would, we're going we're gonna to read this passage together, and, and I want us to, to, to engage with this in a way that, that is curious. I was told recently that's my favorite word, and I, I believe it is, um, in a way that's curious, and asking God, God, okay, okay, what are you inviting me into? So if you would stand with me, we're going to read this together. And this is, a, this is a long passage, 25 through 52. So we're just, we're going to stay in it, all right? We're going to stay in this together. So verse 25, and at the end of it, we say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. It's just a thing we do around here. So, sorry, verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, 
isn't this the man that they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But, but we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but but no one laid a hand on him. Verse 45, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you for uh, the fact that we can have a place like this um, to receive what you'd have for us. Pray, God, that you would give me words to speak, give us ears to hear. It's in your name. Amen. And I thought, for God, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. As we look at this passage, the first thing that we see is a lot of differing uh, thoughts, understanding, beliefs about who Jesus is. Right? This, we're in the middle of this, this festival that we've talked about for the last two weeks, the Festival of Booths. It was one of the most important festivals on the Jewish calendar. Right? And, and in the middle of it, Jesus is teaching, and, and it, it must be known to some degree that the Pharisees are trying to get rid of this guy. Right? So there's, there's just this unsettledness in the crowd. 
And, and we see that uh, as, as Jesus is talking, some of the, the crowd saying, hey, wait a second, isn't this a guy? Like, aren't, like, hey, he's right here. Why aren't they taking him? Why aren't they taking care of him? Obviously, there's something going on. And they're saying, okay, do the Pharisees know something we don't know? Do the Pharisees, could they actually think that he is the Messiah? And then others are saying, well, yeah, he's got to be the Messiah because when the Messiah comes, of course, he's not going to do more things than this guy does. And so there's this, there's this buzz around who Jesus is during this festival. And, and yet there's also this, this kind of flip side where they're saying, yeah, but we know where he's from. We know he's from Galilee and, and, and most likely his family is there with him because we, we saw two weeks ago they had already come to, the, to this festival. They'd already come to Jerusalem ahead of him. And so they're like, wait a second, there's his brother, there's his mom, they're all from Galilee. We know where they're from. And, and there was this belief around this time that some Jewish scholars believe that when the Messiah came, that nobody would know who he is, nobody would know where he came from, no, nobody would know. And in, in fact, uh, in some writings, the Messiah himself wouldn't even know that he was the Messiah until the prophet came to pray over him and God would anoint him and, and the messianic age would begin. And so they're saying, wait a second, what we know doesn't seem to follow what we know. And then Jesus picks up on this theme and he's saying, yeah, you know me, but you don't know me. There's this, there's this surface level knowing that's happening here. And in fact, in these three verses, if you'll count the different times it says no, there's seven times that the word no is repeated. And anytime you're reading scripture, when a word is repeated that many times in such a short uh, amount of space, we need to pay attention. The biblical author is, is trying to say something through that. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, you know, but you don't know. And what you know is keeping you from what you should know or what you're being invited to know. Right? And it's this surface level knowing, and I think it's the same surface level knowing that some of us can fall into, that, that, we're, um, that we're in danger of, especially those of us who have, who have grown up in the church. There's this, there's this idea that we can know Jesus. And it just stays at this level. It's, it's the same way that I know Taylor Swift. Right? I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were saying, oh, I don't like Taylor Swift's music. I was like, liar, right? You're, you're a liar. Nobody who listens to Taylor Swift doesn't like Taylor Swift. And if you do, you're lying, right? Kidding. I'm just kidding. So you're, anyway, now, if, if we said, all right, I know Taylor Swift, and what I know about Taylor Swift is that she's an iconic singer-songwriter, right? Just the best ever. She's super sweet, obviously. Just look at her, right? She's just so sweet. She's so nice. And she is a diehard Chiefs fan. <laughs> obviously, right? right? Yeah, right? She's dating that Chiefs guy. What's his name? Travis. Travis? He's dating. I mean, his jerseys have just skyrocketed. I mean, Cameron bought one after he saw Taylor Swift was on the... the Kidding, he bought his before. But, but if we said, all right, guess what? Taylor Swift is coming to, to Compass Church. And she, she's going to come because maybe her grandpa goes to church here or something. And so, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, roll out the red carpet for Taylor Swift, right, when she comes. And in fact, we know that she's such a diehard Chiefs fan. She, she bleeds red and yellow. <laughs> 
right? And so it's like, and, and we're saying, Taylor, so we, we are so glad that you're here. And, you know, you probably have Mahomes jersey at home too. And, and if she came in and she's like, well, actually, I, this is so nice. Because she probably wouldn't want to upset anybody, just knowing Taylor, right? And this is so nice. But, you know, I'm not that big of a Chiefs fan. And, and what, if we, what if we then were like, excuse me. I don't know who you are, but you're not the Taylor Swift I know, right? I don't know who you think you are, but the Taylor Swift I know loves the Chiefs. And the Taylor Swift I know wouldn't fly to Minneapolis for a Chiefs game and not go to the Chiefs game, right? The, the Taylor Swift I know, which I think is a thing that happened, right? Uh, the Taylor Swift I know, you know, we, we can get into this. We can change this back. We can, we can get into this idea that of, of a knowing that's like this surface knowing. And I've heard, I was having a conversation with a guy just yesterday. And he was saying the thing that, that caused him to not believe anymore was the, the existence of hell. And I, I'm the really hard conversations, it's, 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 there are struggles, right? But he was saying, look, the, the God that I would serve wouldn't create hell. And, and it, it like, I, I, I feel compassion, and it was a good conversation, and we had a good conversation. But it, but it is that idea of, like, I know God. I know Jesus. And the Jesus I know wouldn't blank. The Jesus I know wouldn't, wouldn't make me, it, he wouldn't ask me to do relationships like this. The Jesus I know wouldn't invite me to, to give my money in this way. I remember one time uh, we were doing a capital campaign at a church I was at. And I was on staff. And I had saved up some money because, if you don't, I look very dapper this morning, as someone has said, so thank you. Uh, but if you wouldn't know it by looking at me if this is the first time. But I have a few tattoos. And I don't know what you think about tattoos, but it's, it's fine. We can, all, we can all be in this space together. Right? And, and I was saving up because I was going to get a new tattoo. And I was pretty excited about it. And then we went in this capital campaign. And I felt God inviting me and kind of a still small voice said, hey, that money that you've set aside for that thing that you really want, why don't you give that to me? Yeah, it's, my, it's mine. Why don't, why don't you give that? And I thought, oh, this can't be the voice of God, right? I mean, sometimes we're like, well, what's the voice of God and what's my own imagination? Well, that can't be the voice of God because God would know how, how long I've wanted this thing. God would know how much I've saved up. God would know this. And, and that can't be the voice of God, right? See, we can fall into this knowing that keeps us from knowing. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, why not? Why not lay down what you think you know? in order to receive what you actually need. See, he, he even says, uh, he, he says that in that passage. He says, hey, you, you know me, but you don't know me. And then in the, in the end, he, when the, uh, the Pharisees send the police, the guards after him, he says, hey, you can search for me for a little while longer, but here pretty soon you're not going to be able to find me. Now, we, there's a lot of things that we can say about that passage. But in this context, the thing that I think Jesus is saying is he's saying, look, if you really want to know me, if you are really seeking me, if you really have questions, if you really want to go deeper than this surface level, I'm for it. Let's, let's do it. 
Let's mix it up. I, I would love, because Jesus, no, there is nowhere in scripture where I see Jesus responding to questions negatively. There's, there's nowhere in scripture where I see Jesus getting frustrated about people's questions or, or being like, how dare you, right, when people ask questions. I, if you look at the, the, the woman at the well, the woman at the well in their discourse, she's asking deep theological questions. We miss it because we don't understand the, the uh, um, ethical or the ethnic uh, tension between Jews and Samaritans. But her question about where do we worship? Do we worship on this hill or do we worship in Jerusalem? That was like, that was tense. Really tense. And we don't see, again, we don't see Jesus saying... <laughs> wow, good question, right? Whoa. We, we don't see him mocking her. We don't see him responding in, in fear. We don't see him saying, wow, you're going to go there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that you can have living water, and you want to talk about where you're going to worship, really? What does he do to that woman, with that woman in that space? What's he do? He, he engages with her. I mean, ultimately, at the end of it, she says, hey, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all these things. What does Jesus do? That's me. I am Messiah, and I am coming to you. See, when I, I believe what Jesus is doing here is when we come to him, laying down these things where it's like, well, I know Jesus wouldn't do this. I know God wouldn't do that. And when we come to him and saying, hey, I don't know. I don't understand how this works. I don't understand these different things that I've experienced. And Jesus is saying, I know. Come to me. Come to me with your questions. Come to me with your curiosities. Come to me with your frustrations and your anger. Come to me. Come to me. You see, he, he goes on, the passage goes on, on the, on the last and greatest day of the festival. In verse 37, it says that Jesus stands up and he makes this proclamation. We have to understand the context of what happens in here to understand what Jesus is actually saying. Because during this festival, every day during this festival, there's this water ceremony in the morning. And they would go out of the city, they'd go to this pool um, of Salome, and they, they, would, they would get this pitcher, this golden pitcher, and they would fill it, and they're singing different psalms, and they would bring it through the city, and they'd bring it into the temple, and they'd pour it out in the temple. And, and this is a, it's a, as they're, as they're singing different psalms and they're asking God to fulfill their, uh, they're asking God to fulfill prophecy. Like there's a prophecy like uh, Zechariah, um, eh, let me see, Zechariah 14, 8. It says, and then on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the Eastern Sea and the other half to the Western Sea. There, there's these different prophecies that talks about when in the Messianic age, rivers will flow from the temple. And this is what, this is what they're, they're praying for. This is what they're asking God to do. They're, they're asking God to accomplish this, for God to meet them in this space. And on the last day of the festival, they do this seven times. Seven times in their point. And, and it's interesting, I was, I was talking to Troy this morning, and I am so, it, it's funny to me how we read scripture through our lenses, through our different lenses of, of uh, just our own experiences, right? Growing up in a country church in the Midwest, you know, there wasn't a lot of celebrating. There, it wasn't like really celebratory. 
One of the, one of the psalms that they would have been singing as they, as they brought this water up is the psalm that talks about my, my soul pants for, for the Lord like, like a deer pants for water. And they're singing this. And, and as I was reading it, and even again this morning I was reminded, as I was reading that, I think about it through the context of my experience. Where growing up we had these little yellow chorus books in church. And, and we would sing songs like that that said, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul long. You guys remember that? So longeth after thee. Uh, you know, and it's, I, it's great. It's really pretty. I wouldn't say it's celebratory, right? See, when, when I think of that song, I think of, I think of the, the orange shag carpet and the hard wooden pews and the, the stained glass windows, and I think of the old lady that would kind of scowl at me sometimes if I, if I ran in church, you know, like, like that's the context I think about that. And so then when I read about these guys, these priests doing this, I think of, as the deer panteth for the water so no but but it's not that one jewish scholar said that if you have never experienced the water ceremony you have never experienced joy this is like especially on the greatest last and greatest day of the celebration this is after all night long they're celebrating they're lighting candles they're doing they're dancing around they're doing all this stuff i can't imagine the old people in my church dancing as they're singing these different songs but but that's what they're doing and it, it's almost like this this passage as jesus says this it bubbles out of this like celebratory joy and jesus it says that he cries out Jesus, uh, it says in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. He has to say in a loud voice because they are partying. They are celebrating. They're crying out to God in a loud voice. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What he's literally doing is he's saying, hey, remember those, the, the passages from Zechariah, from, from the, the different prophets where, where we're saying, God, let streams of water flow from the temple. He's saying, that's me. Anytime you read about water and rain in the Middle East, in, in this cultural context, it is, it is closely related to God's blessing and his providence and his provision for his people. And what Jesus is literally saying in that space, he's saying, you know the thing that you long for? You know the thing that your heart wants more than anything else? It's me. Come. And I'm not saying, hey, you, you know, like... Yeah, come to me if, if you didn't do anything bad last night. Did you? How did you do last night? What last night looked like for you? Oh, well, how about you come to me in a week, right? How about you go back, clean yourself up, right? Get, the, get your finances in order, and then, and then, okay, and then we'll see. We'll see. No, he's in the, in the midst of joy. He's saying, come to me. See, I, I think we live in a culture where we are longing for significance. We are longing for experiences that, that, that are fulfilling. I, I was watching this uh, documentary. Don't, don't, you know, sometimes I hesitate to say things on the stage because you're like, oh, pastor said this would be a good show to watch. No, uh, but on Hulu, they, there's this, there's this uh, documentary that talks about one of the most extreme, like, haunted houses in America. And it's not like haunted, like, spiritual house, but it's like, like a haunted house you pay to go into. 
And basically, I mean, it's terrible. Like, you sign your, away your rights. It's one, you have to sign one of those things. It's like, if you kill me, I won't sue you. My family won't sue you. If you pull my teeth out, I won't sue you. And my, if you do, like, it's ridiculous. And it is an, it's at least, at minimum, it's an eight-hour experience where they break you down. One person said that they quit when, when they were getting waterboarded. They got, some people were talking about being locked in freezers for extended amounts of time. Like, there, there's just, uh, like, having rats poured on, the, all these different things. Like, and, and when w- one of the guys that was being interviewed, they asked him, why would you do that? And basically, he said, I just want to feel something. I want my life to be more than just the day-to-day. Like, I, I want to be about something more than what I have. So I think that's what we long for. And it's, we, we, if we're going to find it somewhere, our culture is going to look for it somewhere because I think we're made for purpose. I think you see that in Genesis. We are made for purpose. We're made for a reason. God has put his thumbprint on each and every one of us. We are made for, for, for beautiful, incredible things. And there are times where when we live a story that doesn't live up to that, we're going to find other stories to live into. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I see you. And, and what is the response? What's the response of the Pharisees? Let's kill him. Why? So some of the people, again, some of the people are saying, oh, he's got to be the Messiah. He's got to be the prophet, which again, we can go into why they're, why they're making those distinctions. But they're saying, he, they're, they're recognizing what Jesus is saying. They're saying, oh, he is who he says he is. And some people are like, he can't be. And the Pharisees are like, let's kill him. Why do they do that? Because they know what Jesus is saying. If they believe that, then they're going to have to lay some things down that they're not ready to lay down. If, if they're going to have to lay some things down in order to receive the Jesus, the Messiah they needed. They'd have to lay down some of the things that they wanted. So, but I want to live my life this way. I want to I engage with the opposite sex in this way. I want to be in relationship this way. I want to treat my money this way. And Jesus is saying, I see that. But I also see your heart's desire. So will you come to me? And the Pharisees are saying, absolutely not. See, when, when we engage with Jesus in this way, I, I heard a person say uh, a long time ago that usually it's either worship or warfare. When we engage with what Jesus is saying, it's e- we come to Jesus and say, you are who you say we are, you are. Or we say, get out of my life. See, again, when we think about deconstruction, Deconstruction is, a, is an important step in reconstruction, right? To, to lay down what we think we know in order to receive what we need, which is who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah they needed, even if he wasn't the Messiah they expected, right? And so when we think about reconstruction, there are two, two main, and there's a lot of things we could say about this, but there's two main things that I want to hit on uh, before we leave this morning. Two steps in the reconstruction process, okay? Uh, the, the first step that we're going to talk about, I think we see it from the passage, is that if we are going to engage in this reconstruction process, laying down what we think we know in order to receive what we need, we need to recognize fear, we need to recognize fear. 
See, I, I think the reason this is such an important step is because fear will expose your faulty foundations. Fear will expose what, what fear, what happened to the Pharisees is they were afraid of what Jesus would mean for their lives. They were afraid of losing their status. They were afraid of losing uh, their influence on the people. See, what did they believe about God? What, what, did, what was their foundation that they're building on? That I am only good enough if I am, if, if, if I have this place of power. If I don't have power, I have nothing. Could God really fulfill these different things? There, there have been times in my life where I have, I have come into... Okay, so there was one conversation I was having with a really good friend of mine. I was in ministry with him. And, and at the time, I was really wrestling with a hot topic issue, which, which again, we wrestle with a lot. Like, uh, the, what does the Bible say about women's roles? Women's... And, and I hesitate to say this because we're not going to go here all the way this morning. But at the time, you know, there's different, there's different labels that we can use. There's uh, liberal, egalitarian, complementarian, traditionalism. And, and the church I was in, I, I would say, had blown past the complementarian like, label and were, were solidly in this traditionalist mindset. And, and my, one of my like, deep core like, needs and beliefs is that it's better to belong than to make waves, Right? It's, it wasn't so much about, like, what does God's word say about this issue? It was, it was way more about how do I belong in this structure? Like, do, do, are, are, are you and I okay? Because I, I need to figure out what to say in order to be okay here in this space with you. And as I was talking to my, uh, my really good friend about this book I was reading, talking about this really tough uh, issue, he, he's like, yeah, I don't believe what you believe. And I was like, wait a second, I know you. I, I, know, I know you believe what I believe. I know, I know these different things, but it was, I had a surface knowing of these different things. And yet when, when we began to engage, my world got shook because I realized it wasn't about what God had said. It was about how can I belong? How can I fit? See, the, the fear in me that came up as my friend revealed these different things, the fear in me that came up was the fear that I'm not okay unless I'm okay with you. And in fact, I don't know if Jesus can fill that need that I have. See, fear will reveal in you what your faulty foundations might be, right? The, the second step in that Again, my favorite word, make room for curiosity. See, curiosity and fear can't go together, right? Curiosity, let, let me explain. If, if, a, if a bear runs into to the uh, auditorium, which it's Missouri, right? Could happen. A bear runs into the auditorium and, and you know, we respond and say, whoa, 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 wait a second, everybody. Wait a second. Let's just, let's just think about this, Right? Just saying, all right, what, what is the saying? Brown lay down, black fight back. Okay, is that a brown bear? Or is that a black bear? Right? Okay, so, so okay, it's a little dark brown. Ooh, that's uh, it's a iffy. You know, Danny, why don't you fight back? And we'll see how it goes with Danny, right? And then we'll say, oh, should have laid down. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. Right? We, we can't be curious. No. What, what's going to happen in the midst of that is we're going to freak out, right? 
We're going to freak out and we're going to be running around. We're gonna, ah, you know, and, and, and the idea, what happens in fear is we begin to self-protect or self-promote. And we, you know, we respond and we react and we attack and we do all these different things. And, and, and in fact, when we, when we are recognizing fear, then it makes room for curiosity. And, and what, what we see in this passage, these people are saying, no, we know that Jesus, the Messiah, is supposed to be from Galilee. We know that the, when the Messiah comes, he won't... We know these different things. And, and yet, if they would have said, okay, wait a second. Are you open to a different perspective? Is there something that we can look at and, and be curious about? Can, can you be curious about the influences that might be coming in to you? Can you be curious about the internal motivations that you might be having right now to make you go down that path and say, no, I know, I know who Jesus is, and I know what he would require of me in this moment. Okay, well, can we just be curious about that? Because maybe we're building on a faulty foundation. Maybe we're building in a place where we're saying, I know Jesus, and Jesus is saying, oh, but you don't. See, I've, I've, been through, um, I've been through different situations. I think I've told this story before. I've been through situations where my God box has been blown apart. You know, the, there, was a, there was a moment... Um, there was a moment when uh, the you know we've we've dealt with a lot of health issues in my family over the years, and there was a moment where um, I was a young pastor. We were we were pastoring this this church in Iowa, and my whole church um, we we went through this time of fasting, and we were praying, and we were asking God for healing, and just believing believing that it would happen because that's what the Bible says and the God I know is going to respond when we when when God's people come together and when we fast and pray seek his face things happen right and I remember at the at the end of that time of fasting we actually broke fast together in our church and the next day we had a doctor's appointment and it was like oh this is God's hand at work like we didn't we didn't set this up this couldn't be this could not be as perfect and like the next day, we went to Iowa City for a doctor's appointment. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, but things are, things are worse. Your kids are more sick than they, than they were. Like things, blood work's not coming back right. I'll, I'll, I don't remember the details because when you hear that, it's kind of like you just shut off. It's a fog. And I remember sitting with my wife after we got home because I was thinking, here I am, a young pastor, just went through this with my church. What am I going to say to them? I don't even know if I believe this anymore. Like, like the God that I seem to read about in Scripture, he cares about his kids, and I don't feel like I'm cared about in this space. I don't feel like he cares. We did what we were supposed to do. We fasted. We prayed. We sought him. And he did nothing. So I remember sitting with my wife that night trying to wrestle with this, trying to say, like, what, 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 do, what do I do? And, it, like, in just God's providence gave her words. And, and, and she said in that moment, you know, maybe, maybe the God can't fit in that box. And I, and I do, I remember in that moment, it's like, oh, okay. 
maybe God is doing more than I can see right now. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's more to this than what I can see. Maybe, you know, as, as my God box was blown apart, what I experienced in the midst of the rubble was a God who was big enough to hold me in the midst of my fear and curiosity, to hold me in the midst of my chaos. See, I, I wonder maybe for you this morning, Maybe even as you hear that word deconstruction, fear comes up in you. Maybe, the, maybe when we talk about laying things down that we know, you, you get the fear of like, well, are you saying we can't know anything? No, I'm not saying that at all. But, but I think there's, there's fear that can come up in us that keeps us from being curious. And, and I, I wonder if we allow our God boxes to, to be brought before Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, come to me with your desires. Come to me with your, with, your, with your longings. Come to me. And if we come to him with our God boxes saying, hey, tear this apart if you want to. Are, are there things that don't fit in this? And if we allow him to be the Messiah that we need, even if it's not the Messiah we expect, I wonder if we wouldn't together as a congregation be a place that is secure. A, a place that even in the, no matter what happens with politics this next year, can be a place to say, hey, yeah, that's okay. You believe that way? Come on in. Oh, you see that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's have a conversation. Oh, I'm curious about, I'm curious about that. Wow, you have a lot of feelings right now. Hmm, I'm curious about that, right? Because we don't have to be self-protectant when we understand that we have a God that's big enough to protect us, right? That, that our, our, uh, the, the hope that we have cannot be in the strength of our arguments, but instead it's in the life-giving presence of a God who says, come to me, Right? So this morning, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're, maybe you're in the process of deconstruction. Maybe you're walking with somebody who's deconstructing. My, my prayer for us is that we wouldn't be overcome with fear, but we would trust in the one who says, hey, I'm big enough to handle that. Come to me. You have a hard time. You're, having curi- you're being curious. You have questions. You have, you have concerns. You have, you have fears. You have frustrations. Come to me. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.